Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 259 of Real Blend, a podcast that wants to get nuts. So let's get nuts. That's a flash reference because I got to see it. Um, I, As you can tell, I'm in Las Vegas, and that means I'm reporting from CinemaCon 2023, which I think we do this like once a year. I kind of report from a weird hotel room, um, and this is the time. So I will have reactions to a ton of footage that I've been able to see in the desert. The boys have a lot of questions about uh, the panels that we've seen so far in Vegas. And later on in the show, we have director Anita Manzor, who is joining us for her film, Polite Society, which is easily one of the best movies I've seen this year. I'm going to gush about it later. On, I'm going to definitely need time to let you guys know how special it is uh, and the fact that you guys should see it. But I'm really excited that we have her as a guest on the show. Um, let's get to it. Let me introduce the boys, uh, starting with Jake Hamilton, because he's wearing Real Blend gear today. Uh, he is from Fox 32 in Chicago and a co-host of the Real Blend podcast. And also, if you're in Chicago, he's featured in uh, the current issue of Chicago Magazine. Hi, Jakey. How are you doing? Where, most importantly, Real Blend gets a shout out because, you you know, I, I do no press without name dropping uh, <laughs> the 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 uh, podcast that I host, apparently, as yes. it is as it is phrased in the article. Also worth noting, if you're watching YouTube, when when Jake is hiding from the government, he wears a real blend jacket, which is what he's doing today. <laughs> I thought you were going to mention the the cap and glasses. Well, that's, that's a, yeah, that's a different. That's look. what we were. Yeah, that's what we were joking. If you're watching YouTube, yeah, he's hiding from Tony Stark. Yeah, we said that this is this is my uh, uh, superhero <laughs> in a Marvel movie hiding from the government look, where they always put on the baseball, like the nondescript baseball cap, the glasses, and just kind of like tuck it down like that, and then and then usually yeah. like talk into like 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 finger in their ear and like talk into a, a mysterious microphone device. Uh, this is how Jake walks to work every morning yeah <laughs> yeah that's true he does walk a mile but kevin if he ever had to move he'd have to add uh extra someone steps read to the article walk. someone did zoom in <laughs> and and i will say like article. throughout the article i did keep thinking like really that's that's the quote that's that's the quote. Was, <laughs> there was a soft quote for them to use for your profile i guess they want to hammer local as best they can right he's local yeah. kids that's why you should tune in and when you're in washington dc you should tune into Fox 5, where you can see my boy Kevin McCarthy uh, every day. And then, of course, here on the Roblox Podcast, where it matters more. Hi, Kev. How are you? Hi, Sean, Jake, Gabe. Uh, I just got to point out one thing for a quick second. Sean is at CinemaCon, yes. which we're, we're going to dive into shortly. Um, oh boy. But Sean is also today, the day we're recording this, going to be breathing the same air as Christopher Nolan later this <laughs> evening. Um, and, I, and I just want to know, Sean, there's a moment yeah. before you breathe air. That Christopher Nolan is also breathing <laughs> and a moment you breathe air after Christopher Nolan's okay. air is breathing. Um, how are you feeling? How, leading how in? small is this theater that you're yeah. in? <laughs> how, 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 how are you, you feeling? Met, you've met Nolan in person before, haven't you? Spoken to him multiple times. Uh, you've met him it, in person. It doesn't but, but matter. Ke- but Sean, haven't you? Um, no, not in person. No, oh. the first time we interviewed him was for the real blind thing. So this is going to be the first time. <laughs> You're going to be in the same room as Christopher Nolan. How are you preparing yourself today? I'm scared. I'm, to tell you the truth, Kevin, I'm terrified. Uh, you should I, be. Uh, I'm going to wear my big boy pants and, uh, <laughs> and get ready for some Oppenheimer teases. But I do want to say, and we're going to dive into CinemaCon, but I do want to mention that, that there is a special award that they that Christopher Nolan and Emma Thomas, his, his incredible producing partner and wife, are receiving because of the state of cinema. And that's a big thing at CinemaCon. It, and it's like a it's like a special award that's being created like for them. I think it's cool. like proponent of <laughs> it's called the Christopher Nolan cinema. and Emma Thomas Award or something like that. They were, they yeah. were perfect for it. 
It is now. It's going to be called that now. So uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, hello. Thank you very much for joining us. Hit subscribe. Turn on your notifications. Uh, drop us some comments as well, too. Let us know where you're chiming. Let, let us know where you're chiming in from. That's what I want to hear. I hear like West Coast notification crew and some people chime in from around the world. Uh, we go down and read those all the time. So let us know. Um, we're at YouTube.com backslash Real Blend Podcast. Of course, available all the different places where you get your audio needs met. And if you want to get some extra Real Blend in your ears and eyes, I suppose, um, as well as an ad-free version of the show, sign up for Roblin Premium. You can check the description for information on where to sign up for that. It gets you a additional show every Monday where we usually play some type of fun game and dive into um, mailbag every once in a while, which is fun to do. And so, uh, yeah, if you if you dig this show and you want to get a little bit more behind the scenes, get into the Real Blend premium subscription. Uh, earlier this week, we did an interview with director uh, George Tillman Jr. Uh, he directed the uh, new biopic for George Foreman. So that's available on all of our channels. Um, and as mentioned on uh, during the intro, we are going to throw it to Nita Manzoor. So Nita Manzoor did a, a movie called Polite Society. It played at Sundance and I believe South by Southwest. And I got to see it through the Sundance um, virtual app, which was a, it's a terrific way to cover a film fest. Like I really applaud Sundance for letting in a lot more virtual uh, journalists because it's an extremely expensive uh, festival to cover. And they have an incredible app that works really, really well in terms of being able to watch the screeners. They're just in select windows. Um, so I saw Polite Society on my television, but I cannot wait to go see it on the big screen. I uh, will review it a little bit later on uh, to tell you exactly why you kind of need to see it in that big screen format. And we talk about that with Nita as well, too. So um, without further ado, this is Nita Manzor talking about her new film, Polite Society. <laughs> Clear your day, please. I need the whole day to talk to you about this amazing movie. Um, <laughs> I fought really hard to get you onto our show with the Real Blend podcast. Um, we're a filmmaker-driven podcast, and I was so blown away by your movie that I just needed to make sure that we had you on to tell as many people as possible about it because it's truly incredible. Congratulations. Thanks, Sean. That's so kind. Thank you so much for saying that. I'm so nervous. It's coming out in a couple of weeks, and I'm losing my mind. So well, I want to... Yeah, I want to dive into some of those nerves with a very specific sort of question, because I, I hate Sundance. I don't go to Sundance. It's cold. It's too crowded. It's really expensive to go. But but I was kicking myself for not being in the audience for your screening, because I'm sure it blew the roof off of the joint. That seems like the type of place where you just want to experience that kind of movie with that kind of crowd. So tell me about right before and right after that screening. Oh God, right before I was so nervous um, and kind of confused. I'd never been to, I haven't been to that many film festivals and especially not ones that are in a cold, snowy place um, <laughs> in Utah. So it was sort of surreal, but, you know, like you said, it was the midnight screening. So it had a kind of cool, slightly kind of feral vibe in the audience. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, and it, it was just great. I feel like it made me excited because it feels like the film really plays you know, in the cinema with an audience. And it just made me excited for it to, you know, come out um, to the general public. Was that the first like large audience that you were able to screen it in front of? Oh, no. I mean, we did multiple, many test screenings in oh, front okay. of UK audiences, US audiences. So I had a sense of how it played. Sundance is a slightly, it was different. Um, you know, it was more of a kind of critic, cinephiles, whereas like I'd seen it play in front of like, teenagers from like inner city London and stuff. So yeah, I, the, yeah I'd, I'd seen it 
up in front of a few audiences before. Well, you mentioned cinephiles. And honestly, one of the things I love most about this film is that it has this uh, sort of uh, pure, unfiltered movie geek, you know, in its DNA. Uh, you talk at length about how uh, filmmakers like Edgar Wright and Jordan Peele sort of walked so that this movie could run, essentially. Um, and I see a lot of references to, to things like Scott Pilgrim and, you know, Kill Bill and things like that. What were the movies that you just wore out, you know, as a kid? Who, what were the most influential ones to you? Oh, my. Um, yeah, obviously, the, the filmmakers you've named are huge influences. And I felt very lucky to live in a post-Scott Pilgrim world, if I'm honest, <laughs> because... People were like, you know, there was an understanding of what the film was trying to do with those heightened action sequences. Um, you know, Park Chan-wook is a big influence and his sort of vengeance trilogy was one that my DOP and I kind of looked to, you know, he does stylize, but there's a kind of frenetic energy um, and his kind of wild sort of, yeah, vibration in his movies that we wanted to come through in our film. Mm. Um Gosh, what other references? You know, Bollywood cinema was the cinema I grew, grew up on. Um, you know, there's a kind of over-the-top melodrama kind of spectacle cinema that Bollywood is that definitely kind of infuses um, the film. Uh, you know, again, you know, the film The Matrix opened up Hong Kong Kung Fu to me. Um, sure, yeah. And, you know, that sort of sits side by side with Bollywood and Hong Kong Kung Fu films. There's a spectacle. It's almost like a, you know, a dance quality to the action. Um, oh, I, I mean, want to double feature your movie with Rumble in the Bronx. I feel like for some <laughs> reason those two go really well together. <laughs> that would be so cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I was just at Star Wars Celebration and um, they did the panel for Ahsoka and Mary Elizabeth Winstead uh, was walking the press line and I was just in awe of meeting Ramona Flowers. That's all I wanted She's to talk amazing. to her at length. Um, <laughs> there's a very important scene that happens fairly, fairly early in your film, and it's the school fight. It's where, you know, everyone sort of surrounds uh, the, your two characters. And, and I think that that scene sets the tone of what the audience is in store for. You give some hints to it prior to, but that's the scene where we finally settle in for like, oh, this is going to be something special and, and different. Did you treat that sequence that way? Did you feel like you were sort of going into it to almost establish this is what we're in the mood for? Because it almost grounds the the hyper reality that's going to be part of the film. But I don't think the film ever veers too far into like cartoonish. It still feels like, oh, I, I kind of believe this stuff could be happening. Uh, I'm so glad it works for you. Yeah, that first school fight was us kind of setting up our stall and being like, this is what the film is. Buckle up. Um, so, you know, we, we sort of, you know, we recut the first 10 minutes, like, you know, hundreds of times trying to set up the tone and the style. So actually, you know, all the kind of heightened moments as you come to that first fight was also something where we're like, how can we just keep ratcheting it up? So that first fight again, doesn't seem totally out of the blue. Mm -hmm. And that was a kind of mix of using score and, you know, slow-mo and just style, style kind of points and the rhythm of how we were cutting as well. Um, and yeah, so yeah, but that first fight is supposed was where we would go full. Rhea Khan wants to be a stunt woman. Let's watch her fight. Let's see these this teen angst. This is a very internal teen angst play out, externalized in these action sequences, and that's what we wanted to try and do. And it'd be like fun and wild and heightened. And I was excited to shoot that scene because we found this location, which was like a three sixty school library, but it felt like a kind of gladiatorial ring, you know, right. and. 
which was a nightmare to shoot in, by the way, because it was a real location. So the lighting was changing. My DOP and I were losing our minds. Um, <laughs> it, it was it was a terrible mistake, but we were very excited about it. Um, but, you know, yeah, we just that, that first fight is us setting up our stall. And I'm glad it worked for you. You know, it's still I'm still kind of seeing it play. And, and it's exciting to see audiences react to like, you know, violence up front between teenage girls <laughs> yeah no it's 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 like i said it sort of establishes oh this is what we're in store for i really wanted you to drill down a little bit further on what you just talked about because you do not shoot that often in like what seems to be a contained set you do you're out in the elements and you're you, you know you're sort of working against your environments in certain aspects of it um can you talk about the challenge of maybe uh trying to get these highly choreographed routines to work in situations where it might not be working to your advantage. Yeah. I mean, you know, so much prep goes into it because we know we are kind of not the highest end budget wise and we had to kind of be adaptable. And I, I, know I come from a short film background, um, sort of low budget television and sort of in my DNA to kind of adapt and move and sort of change and cut sections out of the fight. And we were, we're losing time um but you know again prep was everything i had mm. great stunt team fight choreographers working with me my dp and i had sort of we knew each fight you know inside out we could sort of we knew how we wanted to shoot it we storyboarded everything then we could be like what shots can we lose what shots do we definitely need it became you know it was quite um yeah it was quite kind of <laughs> edge of a seat filmmaking we were like okay we need these shots um and but you know at the same time i love I love directing action. I realize I think because there you have to go at you can't go that fast because you know you've got to be safe. You've got to be like very considered, mm. and there's a kind of you know you know just every, there's a sort of focus that comes with directing action. That's really fun. and it's just so cool to see you know doing wire work and there's like a bunch of dudes with the pulleys. I'd never done one. And I was like, oh my god, something just <laughs> just so exciting to get to do it. Um, and see the rigs go up it, it was really a lot of fun but also a huge challenge um but um yeah <laughs> but nita you know that action doesn't really matter unless you care about the characters and yeah. and it's the it's this you know relationship between the sisters that roots the film um you had talked about how you'd worked on this script for 10 years i'm curious which sister uh evolved the most on the page as you kept going back to sort of tinker them uh and and, and figure out you know, maybe as you grew also, which which characters did you understand a little bit better as you were writing? Yeah, no, that's a really interesting question. Because, yeah, I, I wrote the script about you know over 10 years ago, the first draft. And I was definitely closer to like Rhea in age and mindset, you know. But because it took me 10 years to get the film made, I then became much closer to Lena in age. And so it meant that I could sort of sit in both of these characters' points of view. Um, I was lucky because I got to learn and develop my sort of skills as a writer, uh, making my show We Are Lady Parts, which mm -hmm. helped me find the tone I wanted to work in. Because I, I realized those early drafts were just like, you know, it was wild, but possibly in not a good way. It, and, it, okay. you know, I got to figure out how to harness, you know, all my sort of wild ideas and try and make it not upsetting to an audience and enjoyable and um that's something i got to really learn and in terms of the sisters you know some i always say my older sister's my muse she's like one year older than me and she's like such a punk and so cool and has been my best friend and my worst enemy through my life that i was like mm. i need to honor her and make a film about our <laughs> sort of relationship in some right. way did you let her in on the creative process all the way through 
No, absolutely not. She only saw, she saw at the cast and crew for the first time. Um, I did want her to be, I wanted her to be there for the sister fight. Cause I was just like, you know, there's something really cathartic about it. And I was like, oh, if we were there, it'd be amazing. But we, she couldn't make it in the end, but we got to watch it together. And she was just like crying as their sisters were beating each other up because it's, that's just real. That's what I was going to say. I, I need to know, like, I often like to ask people, like, whose review means the most to you? I'm going to assume your sister's review meant the most to you. Yeah, My sister and my brother are probably the people that I always look to for, like, did you find it funny? Um, yeah. And for just general, like, vibes. Yeah. My, my siblings. What is, uh, you mentioned crazy elements that were in the earlier drafts. What is one that you just wouldn't let go? What is one that you said, like, I'm, this is staying in the script no matter what I have to do to make it fit? What? Well, the fights, actually. The fights were something that people were like, do we need them? Does it? And I'm like, I'm making it. What do you mean? I'm making an act. Like, no, just look at this thing. And I was like, stop. Right. No. This isn't Jane so, Austen. I know. I, I, was, I was doing a Jane Austen. I'm like, no, it's more than that. It's a Jane Austen Jackie Chan vibe. And that's why I wrote so much dialogue in those fight scenes. I'm like, if I write important dialogue in the fight, they can't make me cut it. But then like when you're mixing a fight and you've got like low quiet chat and then big bombastic action, mixing yeah. it might, you know, the sound design work that went into it was just like really tough. Um, yeah. But yeah, I had to protect the fights. And then I had to, what else did I have to protect? The friends, the kind of, you know, sometimes it'd be like, oh, do we need them? Are they kind of surplus? And I'm like, no, 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 we need, we need to see her crew. I love, mm -hmm. you know. I love friendships and they, they sort of bring so much joy to the film. So I protected those, the, the two pals as well. So the wedding scene alone feels like you'd need three weeks to a month, you know, to prep, choreograph, <laughs> shoot. I'm going to assume you didn't have that much time. Mm -mm. How much time did you actually have to shoot? Maybe one week of all the wedding stuff. <laughs> Um, that's, ins that's insanity it's insanity i look back on it i mean we were shells of our you know shells of human beings by the end that was the last thing we shot was the wedding set piece and we we're all like sort of shaking with like just adrenaline and caffeine and like hope prayers and stuff um you know that was wild but then you know you have a crew and a cast that are so on your side and up for it and like go again and and just just working really hard right. I just got I was just properly lucky everybody like really was willing the film to to succeed and and you know you have an actor like Priya Kansara who plays Rhea who's just a joy and a light and just radiates gratitude and you know humility she just makes all of us want to like turn up and do our best work so I was very lucky with the people I was working with I have heard you mention a couple of times that you compare to her to the next Tom Cruise. And I want people to understand that that's not an exaggeration. Like she legitimately is about to take off into the stratosphere. Right. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm like, we have a movie star on our hands, people. Um, yeah, I just, you know, she just wants to get on the wire. She did like a big wire backflip in the last five minutes of shooting, being like, come on, guys, teamwork makes the dream work. When we're all like afraid, she's just like you know, harness me up. I'm good to go. She's, she's just like, you know, she's, she's just incredible. I just think she's like an all round amazing talent, um, works hard and is just insanely skillful. So I felt very lucky to get to, to get to work with her and now get to witness her, like become the next Tom Cruise or anything, really anything she wants to.
well, not even just get to work with her, but to find her, you know, like you can write that character and you write some incredible stuff for this character to do. But then to find somebody who can actually personalize it is 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 really, truly remarkable. Thanks. I th- I was thanking her like every day because I've lived with this character for, as I said, over 10 years and she's annoying and she's in my head. And then to have an actor take her and honor the character and I just and to feel like a burden, you know, just a release to have this actor who just worked so hard and, and who just brought so much of herself to it. I just felt like I had a movie and up to that point when I couldn't find my Rhea, I was like, I don't have a film and now I have one that's going to yeah. be better than I could have imagined because she has so much to give. Nita, uh, there's an element of the film that I didn't pick up on when I watched the trailers and it made it almost seem like it was going to be in a sort of uh, Bollywood atmosphere where everything's a little bit sort of um, hyper stylized, but it's very, very grounded in the London neighborhood. Uh, mm. Can you talk about shooting those scenes and especially capturing the family elements that again, I, I guess I just didn't research enough going into the film. I, I wasn't even sure that it was set in contemporary times. So when it no. played, I was like, oh, wow, this is really fantastic. I love that these girls are that relatable in that sense. Oh, no, I, I'm, I'm glad um, that resonated. You know, it was exciting to me to get to show the kind of London I grew up on, you know, grew up in um, like Shepherd's Bush Market, the streets and also just you know, that kind of, you, you sort of see the trailer, you see all this Bollywood kind of this South Asian costuming, but actually, you know, you see Lena mostly in a hoodie um, in the film. And it's just two sides of, you know, my own personal culture of being both British and South Asian and kind of trying to honor and celebrate both sides. So it was really exciting to get to sort of, to kind of mix it all up and bring all the things I love to it. And yeah, you know, like you said, the family stuff, the stuff at home, um, it's, it's it's you know, I, one of my favorite scenes is the dinner, the family around the dinner table, as much as the fight scenes, you know. Sure. And like you say, sometimes action movies don't work hard enough in terms of script and character. Um, and that's, and you know, no matter how good the action is, it just somehow doesn't hit because you haven't done the character work. So it was really important to me to make sure that, that family dynamic, those sisters were really believable and you re- you root for them. In a way, it reminds me a lot of um, Everything Everywhere All at Once, the Daniels film that just came through. Um, I'm not sure if you haven't had a chance to see it. You've been heavy on the promotional tour. <laughs> no, I, I saw it when I was in the edit, which was really, really tough for me because I'm like, this is so good. I was like, had professional <laughs> jealousy or I was inspired. Um, I was still cutting my films. So I was just like, you know, I was like, Michelle Yeoh, you Michelle Yeoh's in the back of a poster in Rhea's bedroom walls. So I was like, this is so cool. Yeah. Um, and it was, ex- it made me, made me believe that maybe my film could find an audience in the cinema too. I'm like, shit. Um, no, I was felt, yeah, I felt very lucky to be making a film at the same time as, as they are. That was cool. Oh, your film is going to find that audience uh, to the <laughs> point where I'm fairly certain one of the next calls you're going to be getting is from, say, like a Marvel or some such thing. <laughs> Not to I don't want to pigeonhole you. You know, do you want to keep going in this direction? Do you want to try something completely different as you go forward? What's what are you interested in? You know, I'm trying to keep my options open. I I, I felt so lucky get to, you know getting to tell an original story and not have to draw from IP. I, you know, the writing aspect is one of my favorite parts of filmmaking I I am sad when the sort of um, creation of an idea is sort of taken away but I don't know I, I definitely want to keep working in this sort of action space um, and a genre space but you know there's some comedy horrors I got that I'm I'm sort of interested in developing as well as sort of some historical action sort of ancient Iraq I don't know how my tone will work in that place but that's exciting to me um, mm. 
but you know I I had such fun directing sort of the the action elements and the genre and like trying to find ways of telling women-centric stories in genres we don't usually get to see you know people of color again in genres that are don't include them you know such as action and and comedy even so it's those are the kind of things that are exciting to me um but keeping my options up I'll take any calls I'll take (laughs) (laughs) um have you been able to or or has someone like Edgar Wright seen the film and and been in touch well man i've been basically texting me like oh there's a screening this is screening there's this screening he's busy <laughs> af and he's you know he's got a lot on and he's been he's been incredibly supportive um even i've you know we've we've spoken a few times he gave me a lot of advice when i was cutting the film and in terms of tone especially and how, how you know how to sell with the audience so he's been so kind and supportive and generous with his time and and i hope he gets you know i hope he sees a film i he, i would be incredibly nervous about it but um yeah he's 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 basically like i'm sorry next time um, yeah yeah see it yeah well what i think is remarkable is that you know for the people who you say blaze the trail for you you're going to be that for another generation coming up behind you and so i just want to you know end on this if if you have the opportunity to speak to uh we have a lot of you know potential filmmakers who listen to our podcast and you have a script that you worked on for 10 years and and i know it can be really difficult you know where you you get so many no's uh but you believe in a project what what advice could you share to the, the the people who want to make the next polite society oh man only like just the sort of you know i i know what it's like to get those no's everyone in the in the industry passed on this film um and i was actually really you know part of me was upset i all my sort of my peers were getting to make their first debut features and i was i felt a bit like left out you know you kind of internalize that something is wrong with what you're trying to do these, this kind of story can't be told with these characters and you start to believe that you there's something wrong with you and it's just a kind of wanting, you just really, you know, wanting anyone who's trying to get into the industry to really stick to your guns and follow your joy because that is ultimately the best, when you'll create the best work. Um, and, and I was actually now think about those 10 years that passed were really fortunate. I got to improve as a filmmaker. I got to improve the script and I got to work at a budget level. I wouldn't have been able to um, work at had I had the green light 10 years ago. So, you know, it's all kind of been for the best, I feel. Yeah. Could you imagine what the what polite society might have looked like had you made I it 10 it years been ago? Cool, but just bizarre and every age had been like mad niche and mad just like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want to see that cut. I think yeah, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> well, the hardest part from the minute that that South by ended was knowing uh, South by um, that uh, Sundance ended was knowing how long we have to wait to see the film. So I'm really, really happy that it's finally coming and that audiences will get a chance to check it out. Um, and thank you so much for coming on the show, Anita. We're gonna, you know, promote this movie to the to the hill to make sure everybody who listens to us goes to see it because it is a a truly unique theatrical going experience. And uh, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for everything. Oh, thank you so much, Sean. It was my pleasure. Um, Thank you so much. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. 
Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. Thank you so much to Nita Manzor for stopping by. I, I, really, I love, love, love Polite Society. It is unlike anything you've ever seen. As you can hear, she references um, how her influences range from anything from Edgar Wright uh, and Quentin Tarantino to Bollywood cinema. And all of that stuff gets poured into her original uh, voice, which is terrific. So, um, OK, so we mentioned the fact that I'm at CinemaCon. I want to touch on a couple of different things that I've seen. And then, of course, I want you guys to ask me any questions about things that you might have heard about uh, and want some additional details. The so CinemaCon, for people who have no idea, is uh, specifically geared towards exhibitors who gather here uh, in the desert and hear from each of the different studios of what major movies are going to be coming to their theaters later. It's a way for them to get excited about like, hey, all of these studios are coming and bringing, you know, all of these titles to your theaters later and that's what's hopefully going to help pack your theaters throughout the summertime it's a huge celebration of the movie going experience and that's why i always say to kev like kev you should make it out here because every speech that is given by every executive is just like we are behind you you know you guys we're behind your model this is where we believe movies need to be shown and for the past two or three years it was really interesting because warner brothers wasn't well received um because they had th- uh, put a couple of different movies day and date to hbo max and then you you know, streaming has always been a fear of how are we going to handle this moving forward. This feels like the first year uh, post COVID where every studio is just coming full bore with like a ton of movies to show. Um, we got to see things from Barbie. Uh, we saw um, The Flash in full. And then Sony brought uh, a ton of footage as well, too. So I'm going to start there with the um, Across the Spider-Verse footage, which they showed. They got to show us uh, 13 minutes of that film finished it looks incredible. I mean, it looks, it's going to be like even better than the first. I'm really excited to see what they had. They really drilled into a lot of the um, emotional components that were uh, evident between first miles and um, Gwen Stacy, who's voiced by Haley Steinfeld. And then also uh, miles and his mom as well, too. She's sort of seeing how he's growing up into becoming a man while still sort of figuring out how to be Spider-Man. It wasn't as action heavy, uh, the footage that they showed. I know there's going to be a lot of stuff with like Miguel O'Hara and, um, uh, there's a uh, Jessica Drew character who's a spider woman who's uh, voiced by Issa Rae, but the animation just looks incredible. Uh, so Kemp Powers is one of the co-directors on it. He just did soul uh, most recently wow. for, for a Disney. And, um, and then he's transitioning over to take over the spider verse franchise. And we know that this is going to be leading into a beyond the spider verse. So this is almost like part two of a, of a trilogy. And uh, based mm-hmm. on everything I saw, I was incredibly, incredibly impressed. What's up, Kev? Well, I know like Phil and Chris, obviously Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who, you know, work, work on these films as well. Uh, we're very adamant about when the first one came out, how 
unique the animation was because there was something yeah. so specific about the way it looked. It had something that I had never seen before. It looked like it was right out of a comic book strip, but in a very almost three dimensional way, even if it wasn't in 3D. I'm not even I don't even remember if they released it in 3D or not. I saw it in 2D, but it was incredible. How was there any advances made to the animation that you saw in this that looked different or upgraded from that because that was already so revolutionary i thought i'm just curious if they've revolutionized it again one thing that they did so it does look similar in style um maybe a little bit more polished but one thing that they really do is put you in the point of view of the different characters mm. there's a scene where miles and gwen meet for the first time it kind of catches up where the last movie ended where a portal opens and she kind of drops into his world again and the two of them go out swinging in the city and it puts you in their viewpoint in ways oh. that I wasn't prepared for like if they're swinging alongside of a bus, you're almost swinging alongside the bus with them or Gwen will say something like, Hey, thread the needle between those trucks. And as they do it, you do it with them Um, when they're having a conversation and miles is sitting on top of like uh, one of those concrete uh, gargoyles that stick out off a skyscraper. And Gwen is underneath. When you go underneath, it changes your perspective so that you're seeing the city upside down. Do you mean like a POV? Like, like you're, you're the camera and you're moving with them almost. Yeah. A lot of times. Yes. They do that a number of times and in a really cool cool way. Yeah. Like a very seamless, very, you know, in a way that makes you feel like you're part of the action, which I thought was was great. Mm. What's up, Jakey? Sean. So I I know it's silly to talk about box office box office predictions this early on, but you are a CinemaCon with theatrical distributors where box office does matter. And I've seen more than one um, early summer box office uh, predictors predict. Spider-Man as the number one film of the summer talking about like a over $300 million domestic. And I just remember thinking that seemed no, I, no, don't get me wrong. I love the first one. First one was a success. I think it, it crossed over a hundred million, but I don't think it went too far over that domestically. I don't know what it did worldwide, but it won the right. Oscar. I think it was very well received, but it seems a little hyperbolic to, to, to say number one film of the summer three. So I'm just sort of curious, like, do is is there a vibe or a talk of of box office at CinemaCon? Uh, do people talk oh. about like what what is going to do well, what's not going to do well? And when it comes to Spider Man, like I, I've seen more than more than one people, uh, more than one person predicted being the number one of the summer, which just doesn't sit right with me. It doesn't and seem get, right. And, and to Jake's point about the box office, the first Spider-Verse did 190 million domestic, 194 million international, okay. 384 worldwide. Okay. okay. Um, to answer your first question, they talk about box office all the time. Okay. If they're introducing a film or a franchise, they're quick to point out like this movie brought X amount of dollars to the box office and we fully anticipated that, you know, it's going to live up to the hype. That's why during the DC panel, they emphasized twice. The, let me ask you guys, do you know the highest grossing DC movie of all time? Do Aquaman? I? Aquaman? I think it's, yes. Yeah. It's that Aquaman. made a billion. I think isn't the second one BVS? It could be, but I just couldn't believe that Aquaman was first. Aquaman made a billion. <laughs> I do, honestly, because I remember, yeah. I remember that, crazy. that holiday season. It was Aquaman versus Mary Poppins, and everyone was ready for Mary Poppins to be like this big, huge, massive hit. Even yeah. Warner Brothers, uh, and then ended up being Aquaman. Aquaman was the movie of of the holiday season that year. So to answer your question, I don't expect Spider-Verse to be the number one movie of the summer. Uh, it, it's possible that people who really loved the first one turn out in droves to go see this one. Yep. Maybe because the first one came out at the end of the year. So maybe being a summer movie really helps where families, mm-hmm. kids and families can really go. Uh, but I wouldn't put it against like I wouldn't be surprised if Indy, you know, ends up becoming a, a huge nostalgia hit yep. the way that 
Top Gun was. Um, I think Guardians is going to be really good. Like, I think it's going to be the Marvel movie that reminds people that, you know, James Gunn and, and this franchise is special. So I can see yeah. that doing really well. Um, no, I would be surprised if Spider-Man was was number one, but I hope it does really well, you know, and yeah. and another one's coming, sure. whether you whether yeah. you like it or not. So. I mean, the first one had a thirty five million dollar domestic opening. And that, that does surprise me if, if that was considered to be the one that would make the number one, because I would argue the Flash could cross a billion. You know, you're talking Guardians. We don't know what that's going to do. Indie. Right. I mean, there are Barbie. so many. Which one? Barbie. Barbie. Oh, yeah. The Barbie, Barbie footage. Yeah. Oh, of, my God, dude. I will say of all of those, Spider-Man is the one that feels like there's not a single demographic or person that would be opposed to seeing it as of like as opposed to Barbie or Oppenheimer or the Flash all have things about them that are like, well, maybe people are tapped out of that part of D.C. or maybe, you know, maybe they're not as interested as we think we are. Barbie. It definitely has mass appeal, but maybe maybe there's enough people there that aren't into the maybe bubbly, colorful idea of Barbie opposite for Oppenheimer. Like to me, Spider-Man does have the benefit of of being a sequel to a beloved movie and every single person that saw it seemed to love it. Um, And I assume the number has only grown since that original box office. So I could see that happening. Yeah, this is a case where uh, that movie found a lot of audience at home, too. Like when I think it went to Netflix at one point. I mean, like uh, Mm -hmm. it was it that movie, even though it, you know, it made, you know, whatever the I I mentioned, the 400 million or so less million uh, worldwide. It is it did find and grow more at home, too. Um, So I would expect those numbers to be a lot higher in the opening, especially the 35 million domestic. I feel like that's going to probably double. Oh, weekend. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, it's June 2nd, I want to say, which is a really nice spot for it. Uh, schools will just start getting out. And, you know, I think there's ant- anticipation for it. But um, right. But we'll and see, you got, two, we'll and you got two weeks. Right. So like so basically Guardians hits May 5th. If that's hits June 2nd and, and then fast and then June 2nd for Spider-Verse and then June 16th for the Flash. Right. Flash, Mer- yeah. Mer- Mer- little, Flash. little Mermaid is somewhere in May. Right. End of May. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. Memorial Day. Okay, but like I could put Spider-Verse on the level that Super Mario performed at, though. That's what I'm a little bit saying. Like a billion dollars. Well, well, only from this talking about one of the highest grossing animated films of all time. That's no, I understand that. But what what I'm saying is families are so starved for content options. Now, they're going to be more. They're definitely going to be more available. But I think. You know, there was something really tangible to Mario coming out and families just needing to I bring like their kids to something. I feel like you took a giant leap. Like, okay, like, I think well, I kind of made well. that connection in my like head. Avatar numbers. But, but Mario, <laughs> right now, as we're recording this, Mario has made yeah. $888 million worldwide and likely will cross a billion probably by the end of this weekend or next week. Yeah, yeah this uh, weekend it'll cross a billion. Well, what I will, one thing I will say, though, I found it interesting, like, People were saying, oh, I'm not surprised it did that well. I, I think I'm, I'm shocked. Very, I'm shocked. I mean, I, I would expect, yes, it's it's nostalgic. It's Mario. 500 million. OK, 600 million. Sure. Million. Yeah. But a billion dollars. I mean, I With no just sign of slowing down. It was the it was the highest away. third weekend for an animated film ever. Someone had but a great. Is it all international or primarily international? Like what's oh, it doing? Domestic? Domestic, it's crushing oh, domestic. Oh. Listen really? to this: domestic four thirty nine, four hundred and thirty nine million. International four hundred and forty nine million. It's basically oh, neck and neck. <laughs> yeah, isn't that so insane? What? Oh my I, god! It's, it's like the Top Gun of animated movies. Yeah, I read a, I read a tweet. <laughs> I, I read a tweet the other day that blew my mind, and I, I think it's going to be accurate. If if this can, conti- I don't know who said it. So apologies for not giving credit, but 
if this if Mario continues the way it is and then Guardians opens next week, I believe that would give Chris Pratt the number one film for like six weeks. Right. Because whatever. Because whatever the Mario release date oh, was awesome. through Guardians, then so Mario probably ends up number one again this weekend. Then you have Guardians next week, which will definitely be number one and then continue sure. probably number one, at least for two weeks or one week or whatever it's going to be. Chris Pratt will be the number one, have the number one film that many weeks in a row. That's the worst not- Chris is laughing all the way to the bank. He's not I, the uh, worst, Chris. I like I like Chris Pratt. I think I think you guys were kind of alluding to that it's going to crush this weekend. This is the first weekend it's open in Japan, also. Oh, oh dear lord! lord. Oh gonna, dear lord! It's going to make yeah. it's it's going to cross a billion this weekend, and then so Chris Pratt is going to be sitting on Mario and Guardians. Yeah. That is, let's ho- he's the, hope he took back end. Yeah. Some sort of back end on him. He's not just in these movies. He's the star of these the movies. Of, he's like yes, literally the leading character of both of these films. I, I heard they're going to bring Dominion back to put it in theaters yeah. right after this. <laughs> because, uh, <laughs> think, think about this for one second. Didn't didn't the last Jurassic World Dominion cross a billion oh, dollars? Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Okay. It did. Is, yeah. Chris, is Chris Pratt? <laughs> the most box office bankable star right now but but i don't think he's people are run. going to see it because of him uh, these are all franchises no one no, no, I, would, I, would, I would argue wait, a majority like a majority of people going to see mario I, did not care who voiced they mario. were worried would, about it i think a i would argue this worried about it mario you're right uh jurassic you're right he did Guardians did well and sure. became what it is because he, he and him and James Gunn. But he, people Chris like him. Big in that part. Yeah, but that's but that's also much more of an ensemble thing. And at this point, I think it's the the, the quality of the films and their uh, sort of place within the MCU. They're like they're they're upper tier MCU. But, but and you at a point where fault. the rest of the MCU. It's I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not taking, I'm not taking it away from You can't fault this dude for having three no. billion dollar movies. Well, wow. I'm, I'm lumping the other ones in this billion dollars already. He's made a trillion dollars at the yeah. box office. What are you talking <laughs> about? Come on. <laughs> wait, wait right. we're also forgetting. Wasn't he in the Lego movies, too? I mean, the dude has literally oh, some yeah. of the biggest it, movies. It, it must have been like around that time, which I know this is a it was a much wider span of time. But like around the time that Ford had Star Wars, Indy and the Jack Ryan movies, yeah, right, be, right. which which I think I think that was a much wider. That had to be like a 10 year span because he didn't do Jack Ryan until the early 90s. <sighs> but but I mean, Pratt you heard it here. Chris Pratt's it. the new Harrison Ford, no, says Jake Hamilton. No, Jake Hamilton does not. <laughs> Put him in the Indy hat. No, that almost Jake happened. Hamilton does not say that. Didn't that almost happen? Yeah, Didn't was, that come close to happening? I think there were rumors for a long time, but but I, right, saw, I right. thought I saw an interview with, with Pratt where he was like, I, I don't think it ever really got close to. Speaking right. of indie. Hey, that's a great transition, hey, yeah. Kev. Nice job. I've got Getting questions. us back on, on, on track. All right, so Disney had their panel. Uh, right before we were recording this, and I, um, I'm going to call it disappointing. It was a disappointing panel, primarily because the movies that they were teasing, they brought footage that kind of existed. They brought they brought a Guardian scene that has kind of been floating around out there um, of all of them in their colorful suits and um, Star Lord trying to talk to Gamora, and he's pressing the wrong button. I mean, I know I've seen it. Maybe it was released on YouTube or something. They teased the Marvels and then they showed the existing trailer. Then they were just like, here it is for the first time on the big screen. And I was like, all right, but we've already seen this. Um, they do show, they, we saw 20 minutes of Pixar's elemental, <clears throat> which uh, looks really cute. Yeah. How, that, if you don't mind real quick, I'd like to ask about that because 
Sure. I was it, it, it's giving me like inside out vibes just based on the idea of it. And I and I, you know, my favorite Pixar film of all time is Wally, but Inside Out is like kind of like right there. Does it does it feel like that? Because I remember seeing Inside Out and just it blowing my mind. This just kind of and I love Soul. Soul was one, one of my favorite movies of that year. So what is this? Is this in that same ballpark? A li- I do see the comparisons to Inside Out. I see what you're saying. It essentially takes place in an, in a city called Elemental City, mm-hmm. where the different residents are either um, fire residents, air residents, uh, water residents, and it's it's how they kind of interact. And then you start to settle into. It's very much an immigrant story. You know, it's like you mm. watch these families who are coming over into Elemental City. They're figuring out how they're going to establish their lives, and that we we're following a fire couple who eventually have a fire baby and then they open up a store called the fireplace and in there you can buy all fire type products. And then then the little girl keeps asking like, when can I take over the shop? When can I take over the shop? But the part that's unusual that I'm, I'm waiting to see where it goes and I'm sure it's going to end up being, being something really interesting. And in a way, this is almost like soul when soul got into the really dark elements of how depression sets in um, their daughter has a very short temper and what stops her from kind of taking over the store is anytime the customers overwhelm her with their questions she explodes and like every oh. like you see her build up build up build up and then she explodes and like everything in the store will kind of catch on fire and the father will step in and sort of say all right well you're not quite ready to take over the store so that's the essentially what we watched and it was only the first 20 minutes so i know it's going to go somewhere but yes from that aspect i think you can tell that it's it's a little bit like inside out or even uh, even like soul were there, I think I saw your tweet or, or someone else's tweet like Pixar has obviously like the animation game, you know, but going back to the first Toy Story, they, they, they revolutionized uh, animation in, you know, in, in the way we watch movies nowadays. And obviously over yeah. the years, the the animation has gotten better and better and better. But then you eventually are going to hit a plateau where Pixar movies look like Pixar movies continue going forward. Sure. Did this mm-hmm. have any type of advancement of animation style than other Pixar films? Yeah, it doesn't look like any of the ones that are existing Pixar films. And uh, it's definitely taking a, a great advantage of the way that the elements do like or do not interact. Soul looked incredible. I remember Soul blowing my mind. It's not quite that good. I don't think it's I don't think it's quite that good because uh. I think that I think Soul was on another level. You know, I mm. think that was just a special. That was my number one film the year it came out. Um, but you'll see like. The the fire family is on a subway and they're next to a water family and like the one water kid like sneezes and all of his water goes over <laughs> onto the fi- the head of the fire thing and like half of her face is gone so they very have to they quickly have to like reach into their bag and eat wood so that their fire will go back up higher this so is great. It, they, and that stuff moves really quick you know and you're just cool. like oh that's really clever how they do that so that's what um, reminds me of Inside Out it's like instead of instead of the instead of the emotions. It's the elements and like it's it, the elements. It, it kind of, but it's, but it's, it's so smart how Pixar can play with that. Anyways, but uh, real quick, you said, did you see anything from Indy? Yeah. Okay. So the indie footage that they showed was the same footage that they showed at Star Wars Celebration, which I think we okay. talked about briefly on this, uh, on the show when I got back from that, which is a chase sequence that's featured very heavily in the trailers, um, in, uh, Tangiers where uh, Indy and the character that Phoebe Waller-Bridge is playing it's his goddaughter essentially are both um, escaping it from people who are chasing after them and then also trying to get the Dial of Destiny back from Mads Mikkelsen so now I've had the ability to see this twice and each time um, the footage it, it's you can tell that they did a lot to heavily um, 
shoot it practically. You know, it's it's cars racing around. It's uh, stunt people jumping from one to the next. But then they in the midst of that chase sequence, they cut to characters having dialogue. um, And when they do that, it's green screen and the green screen. um, And you can can do that and you can do it seamlessly. Right. But in this instance, and if this is finished and then this is what it's going to be like in this instance, it doesn't look good. Like whenever they cut to the green screen, it takes me completely out of what happens because then they'll quickly transition over into the chase again. And it looks really good, like dusty and, you know, and the action is happening. And then they cut back into the cab of the thing and, uh, you know, Indy and, and, and Phoebe Waller-Bridge are having a, a, an argument, you know, or at one point they're like driving side by side and he's like, is this what your dad would want you to be doing? And like, it's a situation where, you know, like they'd never be able to hear each other. And I'm trying not to nitpick it, but it's because like when it happens, I'm always just like, it doesn't, that doesn't feel right. So did, did you guys see Steven Spielberg's review of the movie? Yeah, I saw that. I, I'm going to read no. this quote. I'm going to read this quote. It's just what? one quote. It's the sentence. He, uh, so this is from discussing film or from variety. He's, this is Spielberg quote. When the lights came up, I just turned to the group and said, damn, I thought I was the only one who knew how to make one of these. Oh, OK. All right. So Spielberg apparently gives Mangold his blessing um, with that quote. So we'll see. <laughs> And again, I, I've I've seen this footage twice. I can only really judge, you know, what what I've seen. Jake, I didn't pay attention to the reactions that happened, but you saw a few. What what were people's yeah. takeaways? Uh, a lot of a lot of uh, subdued reactions based on subdued, uh, just based on that that clip alone. Particularly because, they, like you said, they showed that clip in London. But what I thought was interesting is that I feel like people are now um, starting to reverse engineer CinemaCon. Uh, based on what has worked for studios in, in previous years. A lot of people pointing to Paramount like knew what they had with Top Gun Maverick and just put it out there for you guys to get the ball rolling on how good it was. Warner Brothers and showing the flash. Warner Brothers showing the flash. And so a lot of people are looking to like, well, oh. if they really, truly thought they had something special with Indy, would they have just showed it to the crowd? No, because granted, they are showing it, it at Cannes. Can. It is, can it is premiering at Cannes. Um, but that's not to say like that, like they, they screen movies before, uh, before premieres all the time. Like there still will be the flash premiere, even yeah, though but, it, uh, but played can, at, it might I think Cannes has exclusive. Yeah. yeah. It's probably but, exclusive, you know, but, but I guess the, the, um, uh, some of the reactions I've seen are like, Maybe, you know, just just they showed the same clip that they showed in London. Like there doesn't really seem to be, you know, like uh, just as much. They could have brought a different clip for that. Yeah, they, um, they definitely could have brought a different. And, and what's funny, too, is there's an there's an intro from Harrison Ford and it's the exact intro. Except no. this time he goes, he goes, hello, CinemaCon. And then oh, it clip, the same it, one. you look at a post it. <laughs> yes. The other oh. time it was. Hello, Star Wars celebration. Oh. So because I've there's taken, a joke in the middle of it, too, where he's like, you know, the, we've this adventure's taken us through all these different things where we've, you know, faced Nazis and, and <laughs> supernatural elements and snakes. And then he turns to the camera and goes, why did it have to be snakes? Uh, and uh, <laughs> it's the exact same thing that happened in this this footage. So. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna know, get, now, now's not the time for it, but I did re- uh, recently rewatch Temple of Doom and I've got thoughts. So because uh, I'm doing a, I'm doing an indie that, rewatch. That should be a whole for, show. Yeah, yeah, that five, should be a so, whole show. I want to hear yeah, here. Put your, OK, <laughs> I got to get to Dune. I'm so, uh, Kev, what, what were you going to say? No, I was going to say I was going to continue my job as transition uh, person today in terms of like the segments. And I was like, let's get to Take Warner Brothers away. because Warner Brothers, you saw Barbie footage, Dune footage, 
So you're saying we're Dune talking about Indiana Jones? You saw the Flash. Hey. hey. All right. All right. I will quickly rifle through these. Um, Barbie looks hilarious. Like hilarious. I've seen uh, a couple different sequences now where just verbally it looks incredibly funny. Um, I think it's one of, I, I think it's going to be, I think the, the, the criticism about, or the, the comments about the script being one of the smartest things people have ever seen based on the three, like extended sequences I've seen, it looks like it's going to be truly remarkable. Um, I don't want to give too much of it away. I want you guys to be able to experience it, but, um, you guys know how in the trailer they emphasized her feet, like the way that her feet stay, mm-hmm. that they are, the, the way that heels. they are for the doll. Yeah. So in this one, um, the reason why she's starting to realize that things are going wrong is that all the stuff that happens in her Barbie life um, are starting to change. When she wakes up in the morning, she takes a drink of coffee from a Barbie cup, but like nothing comes out of it sort of deal. She hops like into the shower guy. and the stuff that comes down. It's a little free guy. It's a little Lego movie. Like it's a little bit, you know, because there is a blend of the real world. And when she starts to realize that things are going wrong, her feet go flat. Oh, and there's like a five minute sequence where the other Barbies are looking at her flat feet. And it I think Tarantino might have helped yeah. to write it because <laughs> it's just focused on Marco Robbie's feet for five minutes. So they send her to go meet Weird Barbie to go figure out what's wrong with her. And it's Kate McKinnon who's playing Weird Barbie. <laughs> and she gives her like a red pill, blue pill type choice where she's like, you can put the heels back on and forget that any of this ever happened. Or you can put these on and she holds up Birkenstocks and she goes, you can start to re- learn what the real world is all about. And uh, she's like, she goes, I'll take the heels. And McKinnon's like, all right, let me start over because I th- you're supposed to choose this on yourself. You could do the heels. And she's like, yes, the heels. I want to do the heels. I want to forget this ever happened. So and, and it just goes from there and it starts to you know discuss like um, how she's starting to recognize what's going on in her life. It looks incredibly funny. I think it's going to play uh, really, really well. I want to switch to Dune really fast. Sean, real quick. Uh, so for, for our audience who's listening to this, you're in a you're in a big theater when you're when this is happening and the cast yes. are coming out. So like uh, this the, before that footage <laughs> was shown. So you yeah. had Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling and Ryan was wearing America a Greg shirt. Yeah, it's so yeah, cool. Yeah. And he had a, a a pink bomber jacket that cool. uh, <laughs> they went all in on pink. And then Greta Gerwig was there as well, too, to sort of set up the footage. And then for Dune, it was um, Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya and Denis. Oh. And Kev, I know that you like to to say the we're not ready uh, for Nolan stuff. We're truly not ready for 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 Dune. So, um, yeah, when you told when you tweeted out about the IMAX, because one of the things that Sean tweeted out is that 100 percent of the film is shot in IMAX format, the full IMAX format. So Greg Fraser, I was lucky enough to go see Dune in like one of like 20 theaters in the country or something like that that was showing it in the full IMAX. So I got, I got the 40 percent or so whatever IMAX footage there was. So I've experienced it. And if the entire film is going to be that gigantic, you guys are truly not ready because what I saw, at least for Dune Part One with the IMAX, which never made it to the Blu-ray or the the, the at-home experience, it's going to blow your mind. And I can't imagine so, what this new one looks like. Doesn't he ride a worm in the footage you saw? All right. So Denis, Denis said um, the first movie is an appetizer <laughs> uh, for what you're about to get. Yes, there's a so it's the I don't know how the story goes. I didn't read Dune. I'm not familiar with where it goes. Uh, Gabe is very familiar. (laughs) Gabe is very familiar. And from what they sell it, Gabe, it's a vengeance 
plot. It's the fall of the House of Atreides and it's um, Paul having to rise up into a leadership position and uh, reclaim what reclaim his kingdom. Is that the story? Um, In a yeah. nutshell? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm so. I don't know where this goes either. I don't know. Yeah, if I, I don't want to say too much, but that is that is. Okay. I mean, that's kind of Florence Pugh character is big. That is where Dune okay. leaves us. The first the, the Dune part one is is that he is now with the Fremen. The uh, spoilers for Dune. If you haven't seen Dune, I don't know why you're here. But this is uh, only the beginning. <laughs> but yes, and it's about it's about responding to the fall of the House of Trades. Okay. I'll say that because it's not as simple as uh, he's gonna pick himself back up and 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 go fight. Did you so, see Butler or Walken? Yeah, I wanted to bring up Austin Butler because I don't know who he's playing, but he is like I I want to say he had a shaved head and is he's like bald. Head to toe white. Yeah, he, he's the, he's playing the part that Sting played, and then uh, okay, and the Lynch film. Did you see but Brolin when they in the footage? Saw Brolin, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, briefly. Um, saw Javier Bardem, <clears throat> who was training Paul in the in the desert. There's a lot more with Zendaya, obviously now that they're um, they've been united at the end of the movie, and um, mm. yes, and then the sandworm. There's the element where he's going to ride the sandworm. It looked so incredible. Like it, right before he goes down to like they're on top of a cliff and Bardem says to him, like, look, we already know that you're brave. You know, you don't have to prove anything to us. You know, this is just a, a test kind of thing. And he slides down this hill and he's got these two hooks and the and Denise shows you the sandworm <laughs> coming from a distance. It's like <laughs> rippling under the ground and they keep cutting back to everyone's reaction faces like what's going to happen kind of thing. And then you just see like Chalamet comes rising up from the bottom of the screen and he's like racing forward and his hooks are into the sandworm and he's riding it. Oh, God, it, look? it looks like CGI wise. Incredible. It looked like he was riding a damn sandworm. Is what it looked like because <laughs> they it looked incredible had him on a gimbal of some sort. Like I bet you they, I bet you Denis did it as practically as possible. Because like because I remember, Dude, yeah. Oh man, I can't. Did you hear looked, anything? Anything from Zimmer's new music? I couldn't tell. I honestly, it, it, it felt it, it felt similar. You know, I don't know if it was the same wow. same sort of bits from the first one, but it looked unbelievable. Shameless plug: um, If you haven't heard our interview with Denis Villeneuve for Dune Part One, go back and listen to it because or he explained, yeah, and Zimmer too. But what's interesting about our our Denis interview now is that the whole film was shot in IMAX. Go listen to the way he explains why oh. narratively he jumps to IMAX in Part One. And now just take that and then apply it to part two because it's going to be. Didn't he give us like a 10 minute answer about IMAX? It was insane. He's insane. We'll go back through and dig those. And uh, they're truly great to listen to. All right, let's get to the flash. So the flash, I can't really review. I can give you a reaction and I guess I can kind of answer your guys questions. I'll try my best to answer questions without giving away too much detail. Um, It's it's really great. It's really, really great. It lives up to the hype of of what people have been saying. I wouldn't say it's the greatest superhero movie of all time, um, but it's incredibly entertaining. It's way more entertaining than I thought it was going to be. Um, it, it It's a back to the future type story uh, told with The Flash, mm. um, and it has a bunch of really funny um, references to both DC, the, the recent DCEU, but all of 
DC's history. Like it, mm-hmm. it's it's wholly focused on the legacy of DC. So it's not just like Keaton showing up. You know, they're not they didn't pull Keaton in because they just needed like to one up the next thing. There's a reason that he's in the movie, sort of thing. Um, it's funny. It is one of the funniest superheroes I've seen since it's like wow. Deadpool level funny. Wow. Um, there's oh. humor baked into the action and I can't really explain what that means, but like you, I, we, we were sitting there and you could feel the collective audience as they were going through action set pieces because they do an amazing job of showing the Flash's power and how things, you know, stop around him essentially as he's moving. Um, oh, okay. I got a good way of putting it. Do you remember the very first time that you saw uh, Quicksilver in the X-Men franchises mm-hmm. yes. and they had that uh, scene where he's racing around the lab and moving things around? Amazing. Do they have action set pieces that are like that but they go on for like 15 minutes Um, and the stuff that's happening in them you literally heard the audience like you're not gonna do that and then they do it and you're just like oh my god I can't believe what's happening Um, I can't praise enough how good Ezra Miller is and I understand it's gonna be weird it's gonna be uh, you know awkward to sort of talk about so I just for now I want to focus on their performance because as you guys know in the trailer they play two different versions of Barry um, and the the portrayals of the different barriers are so incredibly different um, at the, and they have to interact off of each other constantly. And it's the comedic timing of the two Barry's playing off of each other that at some point in the middle of the movie, I kind of stopped and thought like, this is pretty remarkable the way that they are doing this, you know, because they had to give one performance and then it had to work well off of the other and bounce that way. So wow. half of it's Ezra and half of it's Andy Muschietti, you know, and the way that they sort of choreographed it, but it's really great. Um, it, it lulls once or twice. I could probably see a couple of places where you could maybe tighten it up if you wanted to. Um, but it's, I was really impressed. I was you super saw impressed. A full, an unfinished cut. What does that mean? They they say that um, there are one or two elements when they're in the Speed Force that either are going to look a little cartoonish, or maybe they're still finishing it. Um, like there are elements when he's running and you, it looks a little gra- like CGI ish, and I'm like, oh, maybe they're going to finish that up. Also, the way that it ends, I can just say um, it ends in a way that you were kind of like, oh, I think there's going to be a little bit more. We also didn't see any end credit scenes, so if there are end credit scenes, they might be included as well too. How long um, was that gonna, in the cut? Uh, I didn't pay attention to be honest with you. I, I want to say it was like two twenty. Okay. Um, mm. Yeah. So it's a little over two hours. Never feels it, it's it's plenty of story and it, it gets to a lot, a lot of stuff. Also, and, sh- shout out. Uh, by I the really way, loved it. If you haven't seen if you've seen the trailers online, he shot the movie in one nine oh, which is really cool because that's why you're seeing when all the footage you're seeing online, you see tiny slivers of a black bar on the bottom and the top of the screen. The majority of the shot is full. Um, that's because he shot it with the one nine oh. So I, I mean, just the footage I've seen that one shot of Batman just like kneeling down with all the explosions happening yeah. around him. Like they they there. It seems like Andy and, you, and you've seen the movie. It's like, I, I can actually ask you this. Did it mm-hmm. seem like they used the frame really well? Because it seems like from the trailers, the tallness of the frame, the way that the one I know is being utilized is that there's just a lot happening in the frame at one time are you able to like is it is it is it immersive the, in that way the problem with the coliseum is that and this is why there's no way nolan would show oppenheimer here it's just a normal screen um oh. the sound system is great it's dolby but it's just a normal screen they and need to, um, they need to do like an imax screen for CinemaCon or something 
Yeah, no, I know. I mean, I think they want to push it to Los Angeles, to be honest with you. I think they oh, want to get it out of Vegas and move it to L.A., Dude, um, where they would City have Walk. more control over something like that. But, I mean, we're essentially in a, like, the Coliseum is where you would go see, like, Jerry Seinfeld or Chris Rock perform. Huh. So, it's, like, a big stage that also has a screen, but, like, it's not optimal for um, for seeing Why is it in Vegas? I don't know. I'm not sure of the history of it. It used okay. to be a show called Show West, and then they turned it into CinemaCon oh, over the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So for more coverage on other things that are happening in uh, Vegas for CinemaCon, go to Cinema Blend's YouTube channel. I've been recording videos there either solo Tonight. or with uh, Hannah Solik. We're going to be doing something for Universal with Oppenheimer. We're going to have a Paramount panel as well, too. And then we're going to see uh, Joyride from Lionsgate. So we're going to have coverage for all of that. So make sure you go there uh, for all your video coverage needs for CinemaCon as well. Let's throw it to a quick break and we'll be back on the other side. Okay, we're back. This week in movies, there's a film called Sisu that the three of us have not seen, but it's high on our radars. We definitely want to check it out. Trailers make it look really interesting. We are going to hope maybe we'll come back around if the if we manage to get to it and um, and weigh in. But for the moment right now, we haven't seen it yet, nor have we seen uh, Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. I'm truly disappointed in that because it was filmed in Charlotte and I was asking the reps to set up a screening for us and uh, it didn't happen. Um, but Jakey got a chance to see Big George Foreman, uh, the miraculous story of the once and future heavyweight champion of the world. And yes, that is the entire title. I will remind you guys that we had George Tillman Jr. on the show uh, that is available on our channels. Uh, Jake, what did you think of Big George Foreman? Uh, kind of like the title. It's pretty clunky. Look, uh, like George Foreman yeah. did live uh, <laughs> a, a really fascinating life from his days in Houston to, um, you know, becoming the, the heavyweight champion of the world and then kind of, you know, really going downhill after the rumble in the jungle, uh, his loss to Ali, um, and then sort of rising back up again and, and getting back into shape in his 40s and becoming the heavyweight champion of the world again. And then obviously his grill empire. And, and But this, this is one of those unfortunate biopics where it really does just feel like, uh, they they took his Wikipedia page and dedicated eight pages of script to each paragraph. Um, it kind of like I I felt like I didn't really like I learned a lot of facts that I could have read off of the internet, but I didn't feel any sort of true source of of, of who he was. I feel like a good biopic feel should, should you should walk away feeling like you learned more about who this person was that you couldn't read, you couldn't read out of some book that you couldn't you know research on the internet. And I didn't feel that. It just felt it felt very you know, a paint by numbers, uh, coloring book kind of biopic that oftentimes these days uh, are made fun of. Um, so, so really nothing that, that breaks the mold there, particularly whenever on the opposite end of the spectrum, you've got something like Michael Mann's Ali, which I just thought was a phenomenal biopic and a way to really, um, you know, dissect that life, which I thought it was just much more well done. Okay. Uh, we talked earlier about polite society where we had Anita Manzoor join us. I want to put this one on your guys' radar. You might have heard something about it because it played at Sundance. Uh, it is a truly remarkable film. It's going to be one of those calling card films, almost like a Reservoir Dogs, where if she continues to make movies like this, we will go back to this one and be like, oh, this is where she started. This is really, really great. Um, it's a story of two sisters who are living in London uh, at the time, contemporary London. They're from a traditional Indian family. Um, and one of them, the older sister wants to become an artist and the younger sister wants to become a stunt performer. And she is constantly uh, emailing this famous 
stunt performer to try to get tips on how to do it. So the when the when the movie shifts into her mind, um, she does exaggerated Wachowski style fighting. Cool. And you know she she pictures herself in an action cinematography type world, and she's super into her older sister becoming an artist. But when the uh, older sister meets a man, um, that they it's it's not quite an arranged marriage, but it's almost like the families wanted to get these two to get together and then they end up hitting it off. The, um, the older sister gives up her aspirations to become an artist and just is content to become a married housewife. And the younger sister sees it as she has to fight to protect her sister from giving up her dream of being an artist. Uh, and how is she going to, you know, pr- prevent this uh, wedding from happening? And it, it starts to, as they start to peel back the, the curtain on the family and how the family's got the two to meet you start to understand that maybe there is something uh, bad going on with this guy's mm. family. And maybe the the younger sister isn't imagining a lot of the stuff that's happening um, because, you know, everyone kind of dismisses like, oh, no, 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 you, you're wrong. You know, there's no way that, that you should be this suspicious. You're suspicious of everybody. You always want something to be a conspiracy. You always want something to be like something out of the movies kind of thing. Um, and as she starts to do some exploring, it opens up into a way that I never thought the story was going to go. Uh, and the uh, fight choreography that's done throughout it is remarkable. The closest thing I can kind of compare it to is when you first saw Scott Pilgrim and oh, you were like, oh, this is. Yeah. And you're like, this cool. is so unique and so different, um, but it's its own universe. And the two sisters are outstanding. Like the casting is is terrific. And I just think Nita Manzor is going to be be something really, really special. So I don't quite know how wide this is going, but please check, you know, around. And if you see Polite Society playing at a theater near you, go out of your way to see it. And I, I just want to mention real fast, I did go out and see Bo is Afraid. Um, and I know our <laughs> audience, a lot of people in our audience are probably interested in that. I loved it, Sean, not so much, but I do believe that at some point in the future, we should try and break that movie down. Maybe we when need it comes a segment. to when it comes to on demand, because I just want to say, if you do have a chance to see it, the IMAX format is really fantastic. It's my favorite Ari Aster movie, but it is a three hour panic attack, essentially. And uh, but in a cathartic, strange, very insane, but over the top way. Sean and I have very differing opinions on it. We both love the first half. of the uh, movie. But I, I recommend that. it. I definitely recommend seeing it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think you should go see it. Because uh, it's unlike anything that exists. And Joaquin Phoenix is outstanding. Parker Posey is great. It's a great cast and it's a really, really interesting film. I will say uh, it's a very tough watch. It's definitely it's, not yeah. comfortable it's to watch. Challenging. Um, yeah. But for me, I thought it was really well done and very interesting and unique. I had no idea where it was, go- where it was going. But I think at some point in the future, when the, when it comes to digital or on demand, Jake, maybe we'll see it too. And we can kind of dive into it because I do I do want to discuss it because I think Ari Aster is and we've had him on for Midsommar. He's great, um, but highly recommend. I recommend it. Sean says he recommends yeah. it too. So I do recommend it. it. It's worth seeing. I, I liked it. I appreciate it. I don't love it. Um, yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's out there. Um, it's really out there. <laughs> let's stay with Kev because we're going to play our blend game. And this week yeah. it happens to be hashtag summer movie 2023 blend, uh, which is a mouthful. Um, and I gave Kevin the limitations that he couldn't pick Oppenheimer uh, right. and I couldn't pick Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse because both of those uh, choices just seemed too easy. And so, Kev, where'd you go 
not being able to pick Oppenheimer. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I, like the idea of not even th- it's funny Like when when Gabe tweeted out today, uh, the you know, the hashtag for the for the blend game, he chose an Oppenheimer gift. I mean, that is clearly my number one. It was that or Barbie. I couldn't tell if I wanted to troll or not. But but the, but the Oppenheimer one was great because it, the, I think the tagline like about the world changing. It was perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I guess in if I'm if I have to choose something else um, just because it it, it is. After the 2001 homage trailer, I mean, I was already invested because I love Lady Bird and I love Little Women. And I, I think Greta Gerwig is an outstanding filmmaker. I'm also a huge fan of Noah Baumbach. And so like the squid and the whale, you know, he he, he came out at a time where I loved Wes Anderson. And for, correct me if I'm wrong. Is this the first time Greta and Noah have written a script together? Am I or did, did Noah no, write? No, they've done other involved? things too before. Yeah. Um, Miss Miss. Miss America, Mistress America or something. Okay. They've done a couple of smaller pictures together. Ones okay, that he's cool. directed, not her. And apparently he wanted to direct Barbie. Like once they finished the script, he was like, I'm going to take this one. And she was like, no, 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 you're, yeah. no, you're not. I'm actually taking this one. I saw that quote. So, but in terms of, there's a lot of things in, in this, in this particular film that I'm, I'm interested in. They both the color palette. Francis Ha as well. Sorry, that was the other one. Oh, oh really? Ha. Yeah. Okay. But the color palette of the world and the sets just look outstanding. Um, the cast is incredible. My only big worry is that I've said this on the show before is when all these famous people keep showing up and as characters, am I going to be taken out of it? Am I going to think, oh, there's that person, that person. But that being said, I, I just I'm so fascinated to see what they're going to do with it based on the hype around the script being amazing, but also just Noah and and Greta writing it together. I, I, I think it's a really cool concept. I love that she directed it. Um, the 2001 trailer was really kind of the moment where I was like, OK, this is awesome. And, and I've said this before on the show. I really and, and this sounds insane. I don't see a lot of huge difference in terms of cinema between Barbie and Oppenheimer. And what I mean by that is clearly they're different genres, different stories, different filmmakers and everything, but they both, in my opinion, bleed cinema. There's a, there's a, there is cinema coming off of each of these movies. And I'm not trying to say that in a pretentious way, but these are films that are made by people who love movies and love filmmaking and love the process of filmmaking and just doing movies that are immersive in a way that make you part of the experience. And I think Greta has proven that with her direction so far. Nolan has obviously proven that already as well with his films. Um, and I think that's going to be a good day, July 21st, 2023. It's a, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a day that two phenomenal filmmakers are releasing two films that I'm extremely excited to see. But Barbie has to be up there because I'm just so intrigued. I have absolutely no clue where it's going to go. I know thematically maybe what it's going to deal with. But uh, I'm all in. Greta Greta is one of the best working today, and I I love her work. So I'm I'm very Good excited. Pick. Yeah. Good pick, Jakey. Where are you going? Uh, I'm going Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One. Okay. Um, okay. I mean, you know, it's a these mouthful. days. <laughs> I mean, it's you know, it is it is what it is. Um, you know, I the you know the, the Tom Cruise theatrical experience is one that just seems to keep getting yeah. better. Um, I would argue that Mission is the most dependable, high quality series uh in in movies today where you're you're not only guaranteed uh a an incredible theatrical experience it's quite possible that you're guaranteed like 
one of like the best of the series of it's a series that somehow uh, six in just keeps getting better and better and better and better. Um, you know, I'm ready for the surprises of just watching my jaw drop. You know, I, I, I think there, there are a lot of surprises in store for this one in particular story wise. Um, I think that there's going to be a lot of throwbacks to the entire series, which I'm really excited for. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to do my rewatch of watch the entire series. to get ready for it? And you know, as a fan of Empire Strikes Back and Avengers uh, Infinity War, I love a good dark cliffhanger. And I just have the feeling with this being the end of the story and part one of two, it's for the first time in the series. I don't think it's going to be a nice, neat little, um, uh, you know, ending. I, I think it's going to end in a really interesting, dark way and and have us. It could quite literally be a cliffhanger and uh, and, and hold us over for a year. And I'm really curious to see. What the hell happens to Rebecca Ferguson that requires her to wear an eye patch? Like, I like this. Her eye. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess she loses an eye. Well, I guess, I guess <laughs> we'll have to wait to see do you, it. Do you think the eye had a fallout? Oh god! <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> All right, I'm gonna, I'm going. Well, let me also while Jake is saying uh, Dead Reckoning because there are certain directors that we parrot and you know mention a lot. We don't we don't say Macquarie enough. Sure. Chris McQuarrie is an incredible, incredible filmmaker operating on a level that that few do. You know, way of the gun, by the way. I just want to mention that one because it's awesome. Makes it look easy. He's an incredibly gifted uh, filmmaker. I'm going Guardians 3. And I just which is oh. sucks because oh, my anticipated summer is going to be it's going to be over in a couple. Yeah, oh, I'm seeing it tomorrow as well, too. For this reason, I need Marvel to be great again. Right. Like, I think Marvel's going through a patch where I, for all the love that I have of No Way Home, I think it's truly an incredible film. It it has issues. You know, it's it's not top tier Marvel the way that like Infinity War and Endgame were really the end of of an era. And Marvel's been chasing it ever since. I love the the story that James Gunn gets to come back and finish it. Like, I think that that's truly special. And I I don't think he's taking that for granted. I think he's going to end with an emotional story that really lands this franchise. I went back and revisited the first two and was reminded that they are a lot better than I probably give them credit for. Um, and a lot of it goes to not just the way that the cast performs, but James is writing. And I think this one's going to be emotional. I think there's going to be an emotional payoff to this um, that I'm really, really anticipating. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say Guardians 3. But then, you know, there's so much other really good stuff coming this summer. So I, I had to go with the first first movie out of the gate, I guess. Um, audience picks. Alex Arnold said indie uh, and then shared an awesome photo of their Indiana Jones collection, Alex. So congratulations to you. I want to hear how what you think of the movie. Carrie Case says um, Tom Cruise. Not a movie, but I guess you can just say Tom Cruise and uh, and that works. Um, Ariel Pace said Theater Camp, another uh, Sundance movie that's getting a lot of good buzz. Carolina Masura said Asteroid City uh, from Wes Anderson. Yeah. Nice, Sebs says it's a tie between Barbie and Oppenheimer. Uh, and there was a lot of love for The Flash as well as uh, a lot of love for Barbie and Oppenheimer. So that's absolutely our audience weighing in because... That's seriously our vibe. We are the vibe. We're the show that fits right between uh, Barbie and Oppenheimer, depending on what your tastes are Uh, for next week. All right. You're going to have to explain this one to us, Gabriel, Uh, for next week. Reach out on Twitter using hashtag Guardians of the Galaxy blend. So what are are we picking? One of the three? I I shortened it down to G.O.T.G. blend is what I'm going to be looking for, just to make that easier on everyone's thumbs when they're typing out their tweets. Um with Guardians of the Galaxy kind of coming to an end as a, as a franchise, you know, to a certain sense, we haven't seen it yet. I'm not saying that 
Uh, they're all definitively dead. But with James Gunn stepping away and with, I think, a lot of the actors saying like, you know, yeah, I think I'm kind of done doing that. This feels like it's going to be a good buy. And this feels like a good time for us to pick our favorite character from the Game of Thrones from the Game of Thrones from the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise. So uh, there's like the core five that you can pick from. But I, I open it up to any of the characters introduced because I think James Gunn. Interesting. Even if a character's okay. on for for half of a scene or less. Uh, they they make an impression. So any anybody introduced to us in a in a Guardians film, Craglin. who's your favorite? Craglin's a great one. Who? Who? That's my favorite. <laughs> my, that, that might be my favorite line in all of the Guardians. I hope that's films. your answer. Make that your when answer, please. Diamond Hansu goes. Who? What's the <laughs> character's name? No, I don't. Diamond Hansu. No. <laughs> what is Diamond right, Hansu's character's name? I'm not sure they reference it because I did hear it in the first movie, but I, I kind of want that. I hope they bring that back. They, that'd be so funny if they just like somehow brought or back the, or the full circles that he finally knows his name. Yeah. Yeah. He goes, Oh, you're star Lord. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's actually brilliant. Wait, does that, pretty is, good, Jake. is Diamond Hansu's character still in the MCU? I'm trying to remember what happens yeah. to his character. Oh no, he dies. Oh, in the first yeah, one. I'm, I'm pretty sure his character um, ends up having wonder woman's body. No, that's oh, you're Shazam. talking about Shazam. Yeah. You're talking about Shazam. Jaiman Hansu, another guy with a lot of good franchises under his oh, belt. Oh, dude, Jaiman. Oh, has... I wonder if he'll be in the Gladiator sequel. Kevin, uh, how did you not piss pick Fast X? Well, I mean, listen, Fast X. I'm very excited about it. My my hesitation on Fast X is Justin Lin leaving. So I'm okay. I'm a little I'm, I'm I'm all in. The trailer looks great. I'm very excited to see it. Obviously, a major Fast and Furious fan. Um, I just am a little concerned about why Justin Lin left because Justin Lin, in my opinion, has made the best ones. I mean, Fast Five is I've got, a, a, is a, I've got a good idea. Amazing. Yeah, I, I listen, I, and and you could argue allegedly there was probably some arguments on set. I don't know, if, whatever. But we'll get into that later on. But uh, <laughs> I just I, got I, that. Sorry. I, yeah, I know. I, I understand what you're saying. But yeah, um, yeah. So Justin Lin is kind of, um, but he was great for Fast Nine. That. If you haven't listened to our Justin Lin interview for Fast Nine, he was awesome. Go to check that. Kev out. Kevin's really good about archiving our our interviews and replugging them. I people go that back and listen to highly. Them. They, they do. do absolutely. Yeah. All right. Our next bonus episode is going to be a summer movie hype preview. So again, check the description below for more information on how you can sign up to listen to that. Uh, follow us in the meantime online. I'm going to have plenty more stuff from Vegas at Sean underscore O'Connell. But the boys are going to be weighing in on their different things going on at, at Jake's Takes and at Kevin McCarthy TV. Gabe tweets every once in a while from at Gabe Kovach. And the show, of course, several months <laughs> is at Real Blend. Uh, we'll be back next week. Talk to you guys very, very soon. Uh, and until then, Oppenheimer, Tom Cruise, please come on the show. Barbie.